Psalm 40, Part 1 of Exposition on the Book of Psalms, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Exposition on the Book of Psalms, Volume 2, by St. Augustine of Hippo. Psalm 40, Part 1. Of all those things which our Lord Jesus Christ has foretold, we know part to have been already accomplished, part we hope will be accomplished hereafter. All of them, however, will be fulfilled, because he is the truth who speaks them, and requires of us to be as faithful, as he himself speaks them faithfully. He who believes will rejoice in their coming to pass, he who believes not will be confounded at their coming. They will, however, come assuredly, whether men wish for them or wish them away whether they believe or whether they believe not. As the apostle speaks, if we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. But above all things, my brethren, remember this short text, and hold fast this which we all of us just heard from the gospel. He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Our fathers have already been delivered up to councils, have pleaded their causes before the enemies whom they loved, they gave to them as much of reproof as they could, and shewed them as much love as they could, and the seed of the righteous blood hath been sown, and from that blood, as from seed sown throughout the world, the harvest of the church has risen. The age that follows is that of scandals, and of hypocrisy, and of trials. From those who say, Lo, here is Christ, or, Lo, there, that enemy of ours was at that time a lion, while he was raging with open violence, now that he is in secret, conspiring against us, he is a dragon. But may he too whom it was said, Thou shalt trample under thy feet the lion and the dragon, inasmuch as we are his body and his limbs, just as he then trampled under the feet of our fathers the lion, while raging against us openly, and dragging on the martyrs to their sufferings, even so now in like manner trample the dragon under our feet, likewise that he may not lie in wait for us, against which dragon the apostle, wishing to put us on our guard, says, I have espoused you to one husband, to present you a chaste virgin unto Christ. But I fear lest the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the purity that is in Christ Jesus. That old adulterer, then, the serpent, seeks to corrupt the purity of the mind, not that of the flesh. But even as the human tempter rejoices in his wickedness, when he corrupts the flesh, even so does the devil triumph when he corrupts the mind. But just as our fathers had need of patience in their conflict with the lion, so have we of diligence in ours with the serpent. But the persecution of the church, whether it come from the dragon or from the lion, never ceases, and the enemy is more to be feared when he is deceiving than whilst he is raging. At that time he used to constrain Christians to deny Christ, at the present time he persuades them to deny Christ. His manner then was to constrain by force, now he persuades. At that time then he brought violence to bear upon us, at this time treachery, at that time he was seen, when roaring against us, now, while he is wandering about with slippery stealth, he is seen with difficulty. In what way, however, he is used at that time to force Christians to deny Christ is well known, for they were dragged before judgment seats, and they might deny Christ, and by confessing him they earned their crown. Now, however, he persuades men into denying Christ, and the reason that he succeeds in deceiving is that he who is being persuaded to deny Christ appears to himself to be, as it were, not departing from Christ. For what is said in these days by the heretics to the Catholic, Come, and be a Christian. It is for this reason that they say, 
be a Christian, that he may say, am I not one? It is a very different thing to say, come, be a Christian, and to say, come, deny Christ. The manifest danger, the roar of the lion, is heard long beforehand, is guarded against long beforehand. The slippery serpent makes his approaches, creeping along with stealthily gliding, stealing on with noiseless trail, insinuating into your ears his artful whisper, and he does not say, deny Christ, for since the time that the martyrs were crowned, who would listen to his voice? But he says, be a Christian, and the other, the extraordinary speech having made an impression upon him. If the poison hath not yet penetrated him, replies, Assuredly, I am a Christian already. But if he is moved, and bitten by the serpent's fangs, answers, Why do you say to me, be a Christian? What? Am I not a Christian already? The other answers, No. Am I then really not a Christian? No. Do you then make me one now, if I am not one already? Come, then, but when you begin to be questioned by the bishop as to who you are, do not say, I am a Christian, or I am a believer, but say that you are not one, in order that you may be made one. For when he has heard the confession of a Christian believer, he dares not baptize thee over again, but when he hears that he is not one, he gives it to him as that which he had not before, that he himself may have the appearance of being free from blame, in that he acts according to the other's words. On which point I demand of you, heretic, why you think yourself to be free from blame? What is it that I hear in this your answer? that it is not you that deny Christ, but the other. If he who denies is in fault, what is he who teaches the person who denies to make that denial? Are you, however, indeed so perfectly free from blame, who, being a Christian, affect the same object by persuasion that the pagan used to affect by threats? And what do you affect by it? Do you remove what he had because he denies what he really has? You do not make him not have it, but you make him have it to his own punishment. For what he has, he has. That baptism is a kind of character stamped upon him. It decorated the soldier. It convicts the deserter. For what is it you would do? You are building Christ upon Christ. If you yourself were single-minded, you would not seek to double Christ. Then I would ask you, have you forgotten that Christ is a stone, and the stone which the builders rejected has become the headstone of the corner? If Christ then be a stone, and you would lay Christ upon Christ, you have let slip what you heard in the gospel, there shall not be one stone upon another. Yet so great is the force of the connecting bond of charity, that although many living stones meet together in the building of God's temple, yet they altogether make but one stone. You, however, have split yourself off. You call men away from the being built up. You call them to a downfall. And these insidious designs are too common, and they never cease, and we see it, and we endure it with patience, and endeavor to check them to the best of our power, by disputing with them, by refuting them, by meeting them, by threatening them, yet in all things loving them. And when, in spite of our so doing, they persevere in their evil way, and our heart consumes away with grief for our brother's death, while it grieves over those who are without, and fears for those within, in the midst of the manifold distresses and unceasing trials with which this life abounds, what shall we do? For from iniquity abounding thus, a kind of lethargy falls upon our charity. Because iniquity aboundeth, the love of many waxeth cold. And what else should we do but what follows, if at least by his help we may be able to do it? He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Let us say then what the psalm says. Verse 1. 
I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the promise of no mere mortal who can both deceive and be himself deceived. I waited for the consolation of no mere mortal who may be consumed by sorrow of his own before he gives me comfort. Should a brother mortal attempt to comfort me when he himself is in sorrow likewise? Let us mourn in company. Let us weep together. Let us wait patiently together. Let us join our prayers together also. Whom did I wait for but for the Lord? The Lord, who though he puts off the fulfillment of his promises, yet never recalls them. He will make it good. Assuredly, he will make it good, because he has made many of his promises good already. And of God's truth we ought to have no fears, even if as of yet he had made none of them good. Lo, let us henceforth think thus. He has promised us everything. He has not as yet given us possession of anything. He is a sponsible promiser, a faithful paymaster. Do you but shew yourself a dutiful exactor of what is promised, and if you be weak, if you be one of the little ones, claim the promise of his mercy. Do you not see tender lambs striking their dams teats with their heads, in order that they may get their fill of milk? I waited patiently for the Lord, says he. And what does he in return? Has he turned away his face from thee? Hath he despised thee when waiting patiently upon him? Or has he perhaps not seen thee? Not so, by any means. But what has he done to thee? And he took heed unto me, and heard my cry. He took heed to it, and he heard it. See thou hast not waited in vain. His eyes are over thee, his ears turn towards thee. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. What then? Did he not see thee, when thou usedest to do evil, and to blaspheme him? What then becomes of what is said in that very psalm? The face of the Lord is upon them that do evil. But for what end? That he may cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Therefore, even when thou wert wicked, he took heed of thee, but he took no heed to thee. So then, to him who waited patiently for the Lord, it was not enough to say, he took heed of me. He says, he took heed to me, that is, he took heed by comforting me, that he might do me good. What was it that he took heed to? And he heard my cry. And what hath he accomplished for thee? What hath he done for thee? Verse 2. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. Verse 3. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. He hath given us great blessings already, and still he is our debtor. But let him who hath this part of the debt repaid already believe that the rest will be also, seeing that he ought to have believed even before he received anything. Our Lord has employed facts themselves to persuade us that he is a faithful promiser, a liberal giver. What then has he already done? He has brought me out of a horrible pit. What horrible pit is that? It is the depth of iniquity from the lusts of the flesh, for this is meant by the miry clay. Whence hath he brought thee out? Out of a certain deep, out of which thou criest out in another psalm, out of the deep have I called unto thee, O Lord. And those who are already crying out of the deep are not absolutely in the lowest deep. The very act of crying is already lifting them up. There are some deeper in the deep who do not even perceive themselves to be in the deep. 
such are those who are proud despisers not pious entreaters for pardon not tearful criers for mercy but such as scripture thus describes the sinner when he comes into the depth of evil despiseth for he is deeper in the deep who is not satisfied with being a sinner unless instead of confessing he even defends his sins but he who has already cried out of the deep hath already lifted up his head in order that he might cry out of the deep has been heard already and has been brought out of the horrible pit and out of the mire and clay he already has faith which he had not before he has hope which he was before without he now walks in christ who before used to go astray in the devil for on that account it is that he says he hath set my feet upon a rock and established my goings now that rock was christ supposing that we are upon the rock and that our goings are ordered still it is necessary that we continue to walk that we advance to something farther for what did the apostle paul say when now upon the rock when his goings had now been established not as though i had already attained either were already perfect brethren i count not myself to have apprehended what then has been done for thee if thou hast not apprehended on what account dost thou return thanks saying but i have obtained mercy because his goings are now established because he walks on the rock for what does he say but this one thing i do forgetting what is behind what is behind the horrible pit what is behind it is the mire and clay the lust of the flesh the darkness of iniquities forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those which are before now he would not speak of himself as reaching forth unto those things which are before if he had already reached them for the mind reacheth forwards from longing for an object desired not from delight in one obtained reaching forth he says to those which are before i press toward the prize of the high calling of god in christ jesus he was then on his course he was hastening on to victory and in another place when now close to the prize he cries i have finished my course therefore when he was saying i press forward toward the prize of my high calling because his feet were now set on the rock and his goings were ordered because he was now walking on the right way he had something to return thanks for something to ask for still returning thanks for what he had received already while he was claiming that which still remained due for what things already received was he giving thanks for the remission of sins for the illumination of faith for the strong support of hope for the fire of charity but in what respects had he still a claim of debt on the lord henceforth he says there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness there is therefore something due to me still what is it that is due a crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day he was at first a loving father to bring him forth from the horrible pit to forgive his sins to rescue him from the mire and clay hereafter he will be a righteous judge requiting to him walking rightly what he promised to him i say unto whom he had at the first granted what power to walk rightly he then as a righteous judge will repay but whom will he repay he that endureth unto the end the same shall be saved verse three he hath put a new song in my mouth what new song is this even a hymn unto our god perhaps you used to sing hymns to strange gods 
old hymns, because they were uttered by the old man, not by the new man. Let the new man be formed, and let him sing a new song, being himself made new. Let him love those new things by which he is himself made new. For what is more ancient than God, who is before all things, and is without end and without beginning? He becomes new to thee when thou returnest to him, because it was by departing from him that thou hadst become old, and hadst said, I have waxed old because of mine enemies. We therefore utter a hymn unto our God, and the hymn itself sets us free. For I will call upon the Lord to praise him, and I will be safe from all mine enemies. For a hymn is a song of praise. Call on God to praise him, not to find fault with him. For when you call on God to destroy your enemy, when you would fain rejoice in another's ill, and call on God to bring this ill about, you are trying to make him a partaker of your own malice. Now if you make him a partaker of your own malice, you call upon him not to praise, but to reflect upon him. For you think God to be such an one as yourself. Whence in another place it is said unto you, These things hast thou done, and I kept silence, and thou thoughtest wickedly that I was altogether such as one as thyself. Call on the Lord, then, to praise him. Think him not to be like unto thee, that thou mayest thyself become like unto him. For be ye therefore perfect, even as your father is perfect. He who makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Praise thou, therefore, the Lord, so as not to wish ill unto thine enemies. And how much good, sayest thou, am I to wish him, as much as thine own self? For it will not be out of what is thine that they will receive the gift of becoming good, nor will what is to be given to them be a diminution of what thou possessest. Thine enemy is thine enemy, because he is wicked. As soon as he becomes good, he becomes thy friend and thy partner, so that thou mayest be willing to possess in conjugation with him what thou before desirest, he will henceforth be thy brother. Call then on God to praise him. Sing in him unto thy God. The sacrifice of praise, he says, glorifieth me. What? Will God's glory be greater because thou glorifieth him? Or do we add anything to God's glory when we say to him, I glorify thee, O my God, or make him more holy when we say to him, I bless thee, O my God? When he himself blesseth us, he maketh us more holy, he maketh us more happy. When he glorifieth us, he maketh us more glorious, more honorable. When we glorify him, he profiteth ourselves, not him. For how do we glorify him? It is by calling him, not by making him glorious. What then does he go on to say, after saying, The sacrifice of praise glorifieth me? Lest thou shouldest think that thou doest anything for God by offering him the sacrifice of praise, he says, And there is the way where I will shew unto him my salvation. Thou seest that it is thyself, not God, that it will profit if thou praisest God. Dost thou praise God? Thou art walking in the right way. Dost thou reflect upon him? Then hast thou lost the way. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even a hymn unto our God. If haply anyone asks what person is speaking in the psalm, I would say briefly, it is Christ. But as ye know, brethren, and as we must say frequently, Christ sometimes speaks in his own person, in the person of our head. For he himself is the Savior of the body. He is our head, even he, the Son of God, 
who was born of the virgin suffered for us rose again for our justification sitteth at the right hand of god to make intercession for us who is also to recompense to the evil and to the good in the judgment all the evil and the good that they have done he deigned to become our head to become the head of the body by taking of us that flesh in which he should die for us that flesh which he also raised up again for our sakes that in the flesh he might place before us an instance of the resurrection that we might learn to hope for that of which we heretofore despaired and might henceforth have our feet upon the rock and might walk in christ he then sometimes speaks in the name of our head sometimes also he speaks of us who are his members for both when he said i was hungered and ye gave me meat he spoke on behalf of his members not of himself and when he said saul saul why persecutest thou me the head was crying on behalf of its members and yet he did not say why dost thou persecute my members but why persecutest thou me if he suffers in us then shall we also be crowned in him such is the love of christ what is there can be compared to this this is the thing on account of which he hath put a hymn in our mouth and this he speaks on behalf of his members end of part one of psalm forty